0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 78 of the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. The title of today's interview is, You Were Right, an interview with Lindsay Lazowski. My name is Richard Johansson, And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Lindsay Lazowski. Lindsay Lazowski is a 21-year-old college student from Reston, Virginia. Ms. Lazowski started experiencing the symptoms of a tick disease in the summer of 2015. She was about to start her senior year in high school, but suddenly she didn't feel like herself. She developed thyroid issues and POTS, among other symptoms. As a result of her undiagnosed health issues, Ms. Lazowski felt socially isolated. Her health journey was misunderstood by her peers and her family, and she felt like she lacked the support she needed to get through her health challenges. After being diagnosed with Lyme, Ms. Lazowski felt validated and started a treatment regimen that consisted of antibiotics, organic foods, and herbs. Ms. Lozowski's tick disease journey led her to appreciate life, and her blessing of the skies furthered her goal of changing the world. Hey, Lindsay, and welcome to the program.
1: Hey, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really excited.
0: We're really excited to have you as well. Uh, we think you're doing a great job by reaching out to folks in the Lyme community through your beautiful Instagram, and we want you to share your journey with our listeners.
1: All right. I'm excited. So I'm actually just about 30 minutes outside of Washington, D.C. um, in a town called Reston, Virginia.
0: And what do you do there in Reston, Virginia?
1: So right now, I'm kind of just hanging out, unfortunately. Um, I will be, so I'm a college senior, and I will be going back to Virginia Tech. Uh, Well, I won't, actually, sorry. I'm taking online classes, so in a sense, I'll be going back. But right now, I'm taking a winter class just to catch up from some missed classes from when I was really, really sick. Basically, junior and senior year, I missed a few semesters. So right now, I'm just trying to catch up on classes.
0: Let's just walk back a little bit in time and talk about where you grew up, who you grew up with, what kinds of things you did, what kinds of things you did before you started college.
1: Yeah, so I've always lived in Reston, Virginia, um, other than going to school. And I was a very, very outgoing, social, young girl when I was in high school and middle school etc and I was a competitive figure skater I loved seeing my friends I prided myself in always achieving academic success yeah that's kind of just what I was like I was always super super passionate in making a change in this world I didn't really know how I was going to do that but I knew that I in order for me to make a lasting impact and feel valid with my life I had to better this world in some way.
0: So you you said that you were always a good student, and I'm assuming you were working hard to go to a good college.
1: Yeah, I well, so I got really sick my senior year, but that didn't really impede the um, the application process. But I did apply to multiple Virginia schools and University of Florida, but I decided to go with Virginia Tech.
0: And what was your goal when you were? Applying to go to various schools, meaning what did you want to do when you grow up?
1: So I actually have interned um, for the federal government for a few summers now. And I think I always wanted to do some sort of international relations. I always knew that I liked how the world worked and I liked learning about other people and cultures. And it was just something that really intrigued me. And that was my goal was to pursue some sort of career in international relations.
0: So you said that you wanted to save the world, to change the world, and you believe that getting a strong educational foundation would be a key element of that. And I'm wondering whether or not uh, your illness, as it began to develop, interfered with your ability to pursue the educational goals that you were setting for yourself.
1: Absolutely. Um, Any person who suffers from Lyme disease knows that it's impossible to go to class to speak out and feel confident in your answers and especially write papers and my degree was actually completely based in writing papers so i just felt oh my gosh i can't write i don't know what i'm saying the words that are coming out of my mouth just don't make sense which was really frustrating for me because i had always been a good writer and i was just like well what's wrong with me why can't i function like a normal student and i think everything that was hard for normal people was like 20,000 times harder for me.
0: So, Lindsay, when did your symptoms first begin to present, and how did they present early on?
1: So, I remember this really clearly. Um, The summer of 2015, right before my senior year in high school, I, all of a sudden, just did not feel like myself. There weren't any specific symptoms other than the fact that I just, I was experiencing derealization and depersonalization. What is that? And I just...
0: Lindsay, what does that mean? It's
1: essentially it's essentially you don't feel like you're in your body, which is a very, very unsettling feeling.
0: Can you give me a little bit more of a description than that? We've heard that a couple of times in past podcasts, and I've always wondered, what, what does that particularly feel like?
1: So it feels like, say I was in front of you, looking at you, talking to you. I didn't feel like I was there. I felt like I was watching it from above as a third party. I couldn't, personally connect to my feelings. Like I couldn't react like I normally would or respond like I normally would. I felt just foreign in my entire life.
0: So it's almost like uh, the ghost in Christmas Carol taking you out and you were looking down at events happening, including events that you were participating in and you were on the outside watching it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the early onset of your symptoms. And how did they develop as time went on?
1: Well, so I actually did get Epstein Barr virus a few years prior to that, and I I would maybe say that my symptoms started with me being really tired, but past so they started with me being really tired sophomore junior year of high school, then senior year I started developing the the depersonalization, and then it was kind of stagnant for a long time. I started gaining some weight my freshman year, which everybody attributed to the freshman fifteen, even though I was probably the skinniest person I ever knew, which is, I mean, not, you know, that doesn't matter to me, but it was just weird for me because I was like, well, why am I gaining all this weight? It doesn't make sense. And that's kind of when I was diagnosed with a thyroid condition. A little backstory is that every doctor I went to, which I'm sure with every other Lyme patient is the same, would give me a different diagnosis and tell me something else was wrong. So each symptom that came up they had some different way to explain it. So I was first diagnosed with a thyroid condition and I tried to manage that for a while. Um, and then sophomore year of college, I started developing severe bloating and stomach pain. And I saw a, um, gastroenterologist and they gave me a upper endoscopy and colonoscopy, which came back with just inflammation in my bowels and they didn't know why. So I received that diagnosis. Then I, for a while, didn't, they didn't know anything. And I saw a new primary care doctor over the summer before my junior year. And my doctor ran all these tests and she was like, well, so another thing that I started to develop, which I now know is because of abasia is I started developing postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. So I would stand up and I would just black out and my legs would get purple because I would have inadequate blood flow. And yeah, that was pretty scary. And I ended up going to Switzerland to study abroad um, my first semester junior year. And the first day my doctor emailed me and she said, hey, I think you have POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And I was like, wow, finally, like I know people can get really sick with this and this must be what it is. So my whole journey in Switzerland, i really sad. This breaks my heart, and I was actually thinking about this earlier today. I remember very, very little of it. It's kind of just like a dream to me because I was so sick. But I got back, and they put me on um, POTS medicine. And then I started developing allergic reactions, which I now know is because of mast cell activation syndrome, which can essentially – your body overproduces histamine – So to little things, you can get an allergic reaction to say, maybe a cat or a dog that you were never allergic to or whatever, a fruit or a vegetable, just is completely random and you start developing allergic reactions. But I would, so whenever I was a young teenager, I, like any other person my age, I had some alcohol and I would experience this intense, intense rash on my face where it looked like I had hives. It was so swollen that maybe it looked like I had been stung by bees. And every time I went drinking with my friends, when I was over 21, they were like, Lindsay, something is wrong. And I would just think, oh, you know what? This is normal. Like everybody gets a little red when they drink. Not not to the extent that I did. So I was eventually put on different histamine blockers to help with that disease. And then I got a new job my junior year summer approaching senior year with the federal government and I was really excited and my first day of work I started experiencing tongue fasciculations and for those who don't know that's essentially like your tongue looks like it's moving like almost like it's a worm like waving up and down and you have no control over it and that was really really scary and I didn't know what was causing that. I thought I literally had ALS, Lou Gehrig disease or syndrome. And I thought I was dying. I was literally convinced I was going to die. And I went to a neurologist at Johns Hopkins who said, oh, he gave me a very nice comment. Not nice. He told me, Oh, well, you know, Lindsay, if you did have ALS, I would be famous. So it's kind of unfortunate that you don't because you'd be the youngest case. I was like, "Wow, thank you. That's so settling to hear. It makes me feel good." But but so then I started de- developing muscle twitching and cramps. So I a few times during my summer internship, I went to um the doctor. And I said, Hey, um, what's going on? They said, Oh, probably your potassium is low because another thing with chronic Lyme sufferers is their electrolytes can be low. And I experienced some issues with my potassium. So they would just give me IV fluids and send me on my way. And then I started developing very, very intense migraines and occipital neuralgia. And occipital neuralgia is essentially like so there's two nerve roots on the sides of your head, kind of around your ears that approached the eyeball. It's a pretty long nerve. And I was experiencing shooting pain up that nerve. And almost like bugs were crawling on my head. It was the most bizarre feeling. And again, they just said, okay, like, let's put you on nerve block. And during this time, I was hospitalized over the summer three times for a period of between three days and 10 days, just to try and figure out what was going on. And mostly they would just give me a cocktail of drugs that I didn't want, that didn't work. One thing I did forget to mention is when I was diagnosed with POTS my junior year, when I had come back from Switzerland, they did a brain scan. They gave me an MRI and they noticed that my brain was in my spinal canal, like a small portion of my uh, cerebral tonsils. And that's actually a common condition called Chiari malformation. And it's not, anything to do with or not anything to do with Lyme disease and so I ended up having my first vertebrae trimmed down in April of last of last year my junior year of college and I left school and I thought okay like this is it I have I have POTS I have Chiari malformation I have mast cell activation and I need brain surgery and that's going to fix everything and then I started what I'm telling you about the tongue fasciculations and the muscle twitching right after my surgery, maybe a few weeks later, I started getting that. And I was like, is this a result of my brain surgery? Like, I don't know. And basically my neurosurgeon had me come in in September when things just kept getting worse. And he was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that these things are related, but they also didn't know a ton about Chiari malformation because it's I mean, people have it, but it's not, it's pretty rare. And they were just like, yeah, like it's caused by that. They attributed everything to that, and nobody questioned what was going on.
0: What did you know about ticks? And had you ever been bitten by a tick prior to developing any of these symptoms?
1: So I remember my best friend, Erin, that I've known since I was two, she had a lake house in Lake Anna, Virginia. And we went there, I think, sophomore year of my, in high school. And her mom, I remember I got out of the lake and she said, Lindsay, don't freak out. You have a tick on you. And this was sophomore year in high school. Lyme disease was not talked about. So I didn't know. She took the tick off me and I went about my way. So maybe I got Lyme disease then. I also, uh, when I came home from Switzerland, I had a bullseye rash on my arm after being bit by a mosquito. Little did I know mosquitoes can transmit Lyme disease as well. So that's not surprising to me. So another thing is, so with Lyme disease, there's multiple co-infections as people know, but my doctor recently ran a test and she saw that I had Rocky Mountain spotted fever, which actually can kill you. It's pretty severe and can cause meningitis, which I did have this summer.
0: It sounds to me that you knew very little about ticks prior to being diagnosed yeah. with Lyme disease. And you did have some contact with ticks that you can remember, at least on one occasion, being bitten by a tick and a tick being removed. During the course of your journey, you were, you were getting one illness after another after another. And I'd like you to share with our audience how that was impacting you socially.
1: Everyone thought I was crazy. I, the first time I saw a doctor, he told me, you know, not that depression is not real. I, of course, believe it's real. But he told me I was just depressed. And then year after year, my friend just kept saying, like, Lindsay, like, you need to stop pursuing this. This is crazy. You need to live your life. Um, I had a boyfriend at the time when I got my colonoscopy, and he was just like, why don't you believe your doctors? Like, why, why can't you just accept what they say? And maybe this is not as bad as it is. As you think it is. And that was really hurtful. I didn't want to see people. I socially felt like nobody could understand what I was going through. And every time I met somebody with a chronic illness, I was like, not like, I of course hate that other people suffer, but I was like, this just feels right to connect with somebody else who's struggled. So socially, it's been very hard for me.
0: What impact did that have on how you see yourself? I noticed from your Instagram, there have been some vulnerability that you've uh you've shown and you've shared about how you feel about yourself how did you feel about yourself and how did that change as people started to reject you and reject your illness
1: i kind of just felt like i wasn't worth anything and that that's really hard for me because i've always felt like i was popular i had friends people liked me and then i was just like well why why Like, why don't people like me? Why don't people believe me? Like, maybe they're right. Maybe they're, like, maybe this is all in my head and I'm making it up. And for anyone listening, like, never accept that. You are right, even if other people tell you you're wrong.
0: Well, it turns out, Lindsay, even if you're Justin Bieber, people are not going to uh, (laughs) believe you. And we actually put up a meme on our Instagram this week about judgment and love because a very popular Singer, you know, came out and shared with the world that he is suffering from Lyme disease and he felt judged and he was accused of being a drug addict. He was accused of being depressed. He was accused of all kinds of things. And clearly that has a negative impact on one's opinion of themselves. So tell us how your family was impacted by your Lyme disease.
1: So I think that my parents, so I live with my mom, dad, my younger brother, who's 15. And then I do have a sister who's my age, but she doesn't live with us um, right now. But my family, I just don't think that they believed me also. Like, of course, you know, they were there for me and they understood it was hard. Um, My dad, when he was growing up, had very severe asthma prior to um, them figuring out kind of what causes asthma, how to treat it. Because, I mean, now he's okay, but he went through a lot of years of Really bad medical struggling. So he kind of related to me in that aspect. And we talked a lot about it about not knowing what's wrong, about being scared. And that was really helpful. And I don't think I could have gone through what I've been through without somebody to relate to that I see all the time. But honestly, like with my mom, I love her and I love all the support she's given me, but I just don't think she understood. And maybe that's because she wasn't educated and she does actually work in the medical field as a speech language pathologist. But I remember when I was finally told that I had Lyme or that they thought I had Lyme, I told her that and she was like, you're wrong. You've had so many diagnoses. Like this just isn't it. I don't, there's no way that I could believe this. And I remember one time my mom and I were shopping at Athleta and I had come home from school for the weekend because I just couldn't handle all the stress and everything was getting to me. And we had ran into this. I mean, this blows my mind. If this is not foreshadowing, I don't know what is. But we ran into this woman at Athleta who told me, like, we were just chatting and somehow Lyme disease and sickness gets brought up in every aspect of my life. And she was like, yeah, I was really sick like you too. And it turns out I had Lyme. And I never thought anything of it until recently. And I just, even then I told my mom about it and she was like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of wacky. Like why would somebody go pay thousands of thousands of dollars to see a doctor uncovered by insurance, especially since she was her father and her brother, both are medical doctors and believe heavily in the Western medicine and don't think that it's necessary to see a doctor that's integrative and not covered by insurance. So It was very tough with me and still kind of is with my family and the support that they're able to give me.
0: Lindsay, did the diagnosis help you to at least discuss this issue with your friends? Did this give you the ability to gain some acceptance with people who were doubting you before you had the Lyme diagnosis?
1: Absolutely. I think once I said, I have Lyme disease, everybody looked at me and they're like, I am so sorry. You were right. Everything you've been through, like, no wonder you were so upset. And honestly, this makes me want to cry because I'm like, why can't people believe you without a diagnosis? But, you know, there is that stigma that people make things up for attention, which is horrible, but definitely getting that diagnosis helped people believe me and recognize that what I was feeling was real.
2: Lindsay, I want to understand more about what led your doctors to the POTS diagnosis, because many of our listeners and many people that we've engaged in in social media have questioned whether or not they have POTS, what the testing is, and if that's really just a side effect of their tick bite. So what led you and your doctors to that diagnosis?
1: So in all the tests that my doctors were running, my primary care doctors, they noticed that I, I had said that I would get lightheaded. And they were just like, you know what, like, let's run, let's check your blood pressure laying down to standing up. Because if you have POTS, I mean, there's two types of POTS. There's what people typically recognize as POTS when your blood pressure and your heart rate change. So your blood pressure drops when you stand and your heart rate elevates by, I think it has to elevate by at least 30 beats per minute. But then there's also hyper hyperallergenic. I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong. Hyperallergenic. I don't know. But there's that type too, which um, where your blood pressure raises instead of dropping. And they just they noticed that that's what I was experiencing, so they said, "Okay, like when you get back from Switzerland, we want you to see a cardiologist who specializes in POTS." And luckily, one of the leading experts in dysautonomia, which is POTS falls under the dysautonomia um, umbrella, happened to live in Herndon, Virginia, five minutes from my house. Or not live, um, practice. So I I went to his practice. I I even made the appointment actually I remember calling from Switzerland and I was like it takes months to get in with specialists sometimes and he was so highly regarded so I went and saw him and I made this appointment three four months in advance and he ran what's called a tilt table test um, which essentially they lay you down flat and they stand you up without any movement of your legs because when you move your legs you're able to um, redistribute the blood so that you don't you're not as likely to faint. But when you're in this tilt table scenario, you actually most people who do have pots will either faint or come very close to it and oh my gosh, you don't want to go through it. I, I remember I blacked out in 3 minutes of standing and I almost threw up. I thought that I was like dying um, and then they put me down, but after that, they knew that I had pots.
2: And although pots can be something you can have outside of Lyme and Tick diseases. In your case, do you believe you develop POTS as a result of your tick bite or your mosquito bite or whatever gave you the Lyme disease?
1: Yes, I do believe so because I never had experienced anything like this prior. And typically, some people develop POTS at an older age, but most people have signs and symptoms of POTS when they're younger. And I never, I was always very, very healthy. And I know babesia can cause POTS because it attacks the red blood cells, and then you have issues with circulation and et cetera, et cetera, which I don't know the ins and outs, but does lead to POTS and can in some cases, not all cases.
2: So for those listening that think they may have Lyme disease, haven't had a positive test, but out of nowhere develop these POTS-like symptoms, that could be an indicator that they do have a tick disease and should really pursue that further. So I think that's a really important note to- Yeah. And another question for you, Lindsay, is you also mentioned the mast cell activation, or I think they call it MCAS. So many, many people that we've interviewed and also people that we've spoken to offline have questions whether or not they have that and what it really means. So what led you to that diagnosis and how did you know you had that as well?
1: Well, so I'm very fact-driven and with my doctors, I've basically been the one to say, well, prior to seeing my Lyme literate medical doctor, I was the one to say, I have this disease. I'd bring them the tests. I'd tell them what to do. And you know, that's not a good feeling, by the way. But basically, I'm very fact driven. And I like to, I like to figure out whatever is wrong. And after receiving my POTS diagnosis, I was still having symptoms. And I like I was saying earlier, when I would drink alcohol, I would receive this really red rash on my face. And I'd also randomly break out in hives, which I, you know, didn't know what it was from. So I brought my doctor this like 10 page research paper I wrote convincing her that I had mast cell activation syndrome. This is actually a pretty important part of my story. And I convinced her, I saw there's a medicine called naltrexone that's used for, I think it's used for alcoholics, but in low doses, it combats immune issues. And I told her, I was like, I've been seeing all these like testimonials of people getting better uh, when using l- low-dose naltrexone while you have mast cell activation. So eventually she put me on that med and she determined, okay, yes, you have mast cell. And then I, I eventually also saw a doctor at the University of Virginia who specialized in mast cell. And he determined that mine wasn't, mine wasn't a super severe case, but it was worth pursuing the medication to help fix it.
2: So, Lindsay, for those that are listening and think they might have mast cell activation, what would you recommend they do?
1: Honestly, I would present it to your doctor, ask them to run the test. I don't remember the specific test, but there is a test where they can check kind of how your mast cells operate. And by the way, mast cells are a huge part of your, um, your biological construction. Um, and they can definitely test to see if you have an inappropriate histamine response, which would indicate that you have mast cell activation.
2: We wanna learn more about how you ultimately got to your Lyme disease diagnosis.
1: Yeah, so this part's kinda of funny. So I said I was hospitalized in September after I had meningitis in August with my Rocky Mountain spotted fever. And I was taking a medicine called Diamox to help relieve my intracranial hypertension. And I have fun fact for those who know about opening pressure, my opening pressure when I had meningitis was 29. And it's typically, I believe, I mean, in most people, it's below 20, but that's the high side. Anything 10 and above is not always normal. And basically,
0: my doctor
1: um, admitted me in the hospital. I was there for a while and I left school um, and I returned home and I was super sad and I just didn't know what to do. And my mom is a speech language pathologist and works at a hospital in Northern Virginia. And she decided that I should see a physical therapist. And I was like, okay, you know what? Like, it can't hurt. My POTS is bad. This lady is a neurological physical therapist and specializes in POTS. So if anything, I will receive some sort of benefit from this. And it turns out, so we do this two-hour evaluation, and her name is Ann Blackstone, really amazing person. If anyone's in the Northern Virginia area, um, I highly recommend her. But she... During us talking, she started to tear up actually, and I like didn't really know why, and she told me she said, "Look, like I don't mean this to scare you, but I I was seeing this young man who was very very sick, and he died and had Lyme. It turned out he had Lyme disease and they didn't get the diagnosis until after he died." And she said, "I don't know if this is what you have, but I'm very scared and I'm nervous and I I want you to see a Lyme literate medical doctor and after her saying that I took it very seriously I was like a doctor wouldn't just say that or a medical professional would not just say that without real concern so I started doing research and I joined a women's um, Lyme support group on Facebook and I started doing some reading and reading other people's stories I automatically knew that this is what I had and I had never felt that way before I had felt you know maybe I have this, like, let's talk to the doctor. It's a possibility. But when I was reading other, pa- other patients' testimonials, I just simply knew that I had Lyme disease.
2: So did you ever have a blood test done that showed that you were positive for Lyme, or was it more of a clinical diagnosis by your LLMD?
1: So I had gotten the Lyme test a few times. Um, and in 2016, actually, or no, 2014, I had, I think, three titers present, but they weren't, it wasn't, like, CDC-positive presentation of Lyme. So, no, I had never had a CDC-positive Lyme test. My doctor kind of talked to me, and she said, you know, I think you have it. Like, hearing all your symptoms, what you're going through, my lyme letter doctor was very convinced. Um, and then she did end up running the tests, and I think I only had one band positive when I got the test in September done but I was positive for Rocky Mountain spotted fever.
2: So it's not uncommon for people to respond negative to these Lyme tests because they are so inaccurate. And thankfully your Lyme litter doctor, despite those negative tests, still said you had Lyme disease and then moved forward with a treatment plan. So now that you had this LLMD, what are your next steps?
1: My next steps are kind of, we meet every five weeks and we talk about what I'm going through. We combat my different infections. Right now I have a pretty bad candida infection. So I'm taking oil of oregano and stuff to combat that. But basically it's just a five week by five week basis, check in and we kind of adjust as needed. And we fight different infections every time. Basically, I typically take a three week course of three to four week course of antibiotics. And so, oh, another thing about my diagnosis is So I had, when I was in the hospital in September in New York, my doctor placed an intracranial um, pressure monitor. And when they took that out, I developed an infection on the top of my head, pretty bad. So they put me on amoxicillin. And at this time, I was like, yes, like I'm getting put on antibiotics. I think I have Lyme disease, like hadn't seen my Lyme literate doctor yet. And I was really excited. And the second day I started taking them, I got very sick. And that's kind of what solidified the fact that I knew I had Lyme because I was experiencing a Herzheimer reaction. But then um, maybe like 10 days later of amoxicillin, I saw my Lyme literate doctor and she put me on, I think at that point, she put me on doxycycline for a few weeks.
2: How did you feel when you started the doxy? Was it any different than when you were on the previous antibiotics?
1: So amoxicillin was my first antibiotic, and that's my favorite antibiotic thus far. I have never felt that good on any of the other ones I've been on, and I think probably the next one I'll get back on is amoxicillin, just because because of how good I felt. And my doctor really, you know, she feels that if it made me feel better, there's a reason for it. Um, and amoxicillin does combat the specific infections that I have, so it's a good drug for me. But so. Doxy, I don't really think made a difference for me. I know the first time I ever took it, by the way, take Doxy with food or you'll throw up because I did throw up. (laughs) But yeah, I don't really think Doxy made a difference for me.
2: So Ned, your LLMD gave you three weeks of the doxycycline. And then after that, you you went back for a follow-up consult, it sounds like. So what happened from there?
1: Then she put me, so throughout this course, I've been on different gut medicines and different herbs to kind of balance out my system. But then after the doxy, she put me on minocycline. And um, if you know my story, I developed intracranial hypertension from being on minocycline because what actually can happen is with the class of um, antibiotics called tetracyclines, like doxycycline and minocycline, You are susceptible to to developing intracranial hypertension, which is essentially the cerebral spinal fluid in your brain and your spine builds up and you can go blind. You can die. It's very serious. They put me on a medicine to fix this and took me off minocycline immediately after she realized that this is what was going on. But so I was on that. I think I only had two days left, which was the weird thing. So I had been taking it for just under four weeks.
2: So in addition to the antibiotics, you mentioned you did some other things for your gut health and also took some herbs. Can you talk to us about how you felt the herbs were effective in treating your Lyme disease?
1: So a big thing, I know you guys are fans of um, Dr. Bill Rawls and have had him on your show. A big thing for me is I think that there needs to be a baseline and herbs provide that baseline. They help support your immune system. They help they are antimicrobial, antiviral, antibacterial, all at the same time while providing you some sort of baseline and helping your health increase or helping you feel better. So basically, I think that, you know, herbs aren't a heroic treatment, but they are helpful, and they help stabilize your immune system. And I know for my gut, I took this shake thing in conjunction with probiotics to help improve my gut function. And, you know, not to be TMI, but I had, I thought using the bathroom, like, every four days was normal. Nope, not normal. So after taking this gut uh, medicine called shield I felt like my stomach lining was finally functioning properly. And I started having bowel movements every day, which was really great for me. And that's also a huge thing for detoxing and helping rid the body of toxins.
2: Lindsay, did you do anything else to help your gut health? So for example, do you ever try drinking kombucha or doing any other alternatives to strengthen your gut health while doing all this other stuff?
1: Yeah. So the first thing I did when I found out that I might have Lyme disease prior to even seeing the doctor, I changed my diet radically. I became, I only eat organic. I don't eat meat. I don't eat sugar. I don't eat gluten. I don't eat dairy. Um, There's probably something I'm missing. Oh, I don't eat nightshade vegetables, but um, that was probably the biggest alternative. I don't know if that's really con- considered alternative treatment, but I would say that for people who have not changed their diet, that has been the biggest help in making me feel better immediately is changing my diet. So
2: now you've only been diagnosed for about, I'm sorry, you've only been treating for about the last four months. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's correct.
2: And you were on the doxycycline, then you went to the minocycline, and then you had these problems with, Brain inflammation, and what we find very interesting is that brain inflammation can be a symptom or a side effect of Lyme disease, meaning it could be a Herx reaction, it could be a Lyme reaction, but it also could be a side effect of the most commonly used medication to treat Lyme, which is the doxycycline, the minocycline, and all of those types of antibiotics. So I think that's a cautionary tale for listeners that if they are experiencing brain swelling or brain inflammation... It may be more than just Herxing or Lyme symptoms if you look at if it's a side effect of their treatment as well. Is is that an accurate assessment?
1: Yeah, I would say that I'm probably in the minority of people who did react and developed intracranial hypertension. However, so I found out that minocycline causes intracranial hypertension on my own because I can't just see my Lyme doctor whenever because it's what, like $500 per appointment? Like I can't afford to just pop in. And I did the research and I saw that it can cause this. So I called her and I said, Hey, Dr. Cornish, I think this is what's going on. And she said, you know, I think that it's possible that it's a Herzheimer reaction, not necessarily intracranial hypertension. And I never, um, when I was hospitalized, I didn't receive a lumbar puncture because I've had two and I don't want another. If it's not necessary, I'm not having it. Um, They're very, very, very painful. So we never found out for sure, to be honest with you. But I would say, I would caution people to take that as a serious side effect of tetracycline antibiotics.
2: Lizzie, did you ever try any CBD products to help alleviate some of your symptoms while going through your journey?
1: Yeah, I did. I tried over the summer, I tried CBD because I was just like, I want something to help me. But then also, so I had kept my bottle of CBD and then. Recently, a few months ago, I was like, oh, you know what? I should try it again. Maybe it'll help me. Um, and then I was t- speaking with my doctor the last time I saw her about three weeks ago. And she was like, you know, Lindsay, like, how do you feel about CBD? Do you want to try it again? And I was like, yeah, I actually really do. And she gave me a free sample, which is really kind because good CBD can be very, very pricey. So I've been taking it. And to be honest, I don't know, maybe I'm not doing it right, but I don't feel drastically different when I take it, and maybe I need to take more, etc. But I mean, I feel like it makes me a little sleepy, which is kind of what she gave it to me for is because I have very bad insomnia. So yeah, I've experimented with CBD. I would definitely be open to hearing other people's opinions about it, though, because I don't think I'm doing it correctly.
2: Lindsay, the kind you're trying, is it the oil in in a bottle that you put under your tongue? Yeah. And do you know what brand you're using?
1: I don't actually.
2: So, I could say that, that I personally use a company called Thought Cloud. And for me, it was okay. a real game changer in alleviating my symptoms because you mentioned you have severe anxiety really? and I was having trouble sleeping because of the pain from the Lyme disease and, and the muscle pain, the nerve pain. And I haven't slept as good as I did until I started taking Thought Cloud CBD oil. It helps with the pain mm-hmm. and it also helps with sleep. So, I highly recommend that you give that a shot and also some of our listeners. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a really great idea. I'm actually I'm going to definitely look into that after this.
2: We actually have a link in our bio if you're interested to check it out. And our listeners can check oh, it out. Yeah.
1: As well. It's
2: uh, labeled as the CBD Matt uses in our in our link in bio.
1: Awesome. I'll check it out. But the last thing I was going to say is one of my long childhood friends introduced me to somebody she worked with who has Lyme disease. And um, she actually lives very close to me. And we've gotten very close because we just – it's crazy. We're both literally in the same place in our Lyme journey. And we both had meningitis from Lyme. And it's not, I mean, that's not uncommon, but it's not every person who has Lyme develops meningitis. So we relate a lot to each other. And we both had lumbar punctures. And she recently gave me CBD cream for joint pain. And actually, I totally forgot about that. But that really helped, because I definitely experienced very bad joint pain
2: you've done a lot over the past four months, you've really learned and educated and and really helped yourself by bringing this information to your doctors. What would you say was the best thing you did to treat yourself over the last four months?
1: I don't know if this is like, this is not really medicinal, but I would say the best thing to treat yourself is to believe in yourself and have confidence that even when everything seems lost, that you are still you and you have the power to advocate for yourself and find answers. So, I think emotionally, that like being emotionally capable and strong, even in a hard time, and I know that that's harder than it seems, is your biggest tool.
0: So, Lindsay, I I did want to now talk with you about your transformation. You've already begun to talk about that. What changed in your life that caused you to go from someone who is doubting themselves? And it's understandable because you have so many people around you who are doubting you, including members of your own family. How did you pivot from? having this doubt about yourself to now believing in yourself since you've been on the most recent portion of your journey?
1: I mean, I am not perfect and I still have those days where I doubt myself, but I, I don't know, like a few, maybe a month ago, I just came to the realization that the best thing that's ever happened to me has been getting sick. And I know that that's maybe sad, but it made me realize that there's so much more to life than being popular and whatever it's how you treat people and how how you impact the world and i've kind of always felt like that but i guess being sick i had lost touch of my place in the world and just recently i decided you know what my life matters and there are so many people out there like me suffering and they deserve the help too and if i'm strong for them maybe they'll get better
0: Now, Lindsay, one of the ways we located you is through your social media, where you're really beautifully depicting your journey, and you're sharing a great deal of vulnerability. Can you share with our listeners what inspired you to reach out to others in the community?
1: You know, again, I felt like my regular friends just didn't understand, but I also felt like, so in terms of sharing my story on social media... I felt like not enough people were doing that. And of course there are thousands of people who share their stories, but not on their regular Instagrams. They make a separate one and I'm guilty of that. I'm not guilty of that, but I did that too, because I was like, you know, my my friends don't want to hear about this, but I felt that sharing my story on my Instagram would help inform others about how severe Lyme disease was. And through that I've kind of made connections with people who have similar stories or who struggle, even with chronic illness and that's not Lyme disease. And that's kind of how I've developed connections within the community is just simply by sharing and being vulnerable and raw and other people realize, you know what, that's what I'm experiencing too. Thank you for telling me that this is how you feel because I thought I was alone.
0: So Lindsay, now I wanna ask you for your final piece of advice for people in the Lyme community. If one of your friends, who are not now involved in the Lyme community, who you care about, called you up and told you that they had a tick biting them on the leg, what would you advise them to do?
1: You know, this is kind of hard for me because I feel like I did everything like right. Granted, I didn't take antibiotics and that's, I would definitely tell them, hey, go to the doctor, take your tick to the doctor, get it tested. And, you know, I would would say like, you need to figure out what's wrong and you need to do it immediately. Don't wait. Because that's the thing is I was, I don't know where I heard this, but if you wait a certain time period, you're more likely to develop chronic Lyme disease. And that's like, you need to combat that and you need to avoid it as best as possible. But I think also I would just be there and, you know, provide whatever support I can provide and answer any questions that they can. I've actually had a few friends reach out to me and say, Hey, Lindsay, like, I've been sick for years. And I saw your story. And I think I have this. And I know that that's not quite the same as somebody who was just recently bitten. But I've found that more people are in my situation where they've been sick, and they just don't know. And the best thing that you can do as somebody who has Lyme disease for somebody who's sick is remember you were in their shoes. And stand with them and support them when probably nobody else in their life is. And I think that that's the biggest thing is, you know, we have learned these lessons and we should impart them on others and help others live meaningful and beautiful lives just as we have found in this suffering.
0: Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp Interview with Lindsay Lazowski. For our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Lindsay Lazowski, please visit her Instagram at L-A-N-D-Z-I-E-Z-Z. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Byte blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.